with me, if you will, in your copy of Scripture. And if you don't, if you've got to bring your Bible, we actually have copies right under the seat uh, in front of you. And go to Genesis. Just literally open up the front of your Bible and go to Genesis and chapter two. We're going to be located there. And as as uh, Craig mentioned, we actually do read each week from both the Old and the New Testaments because we. Um, see both of them as God-inspired. And many people have trouble in the Old Testament, and rightly so. There's, it's a very different context than we're used to. Uh, but we, nonetheless, must do the work to make sure that we are actually being holistic in our reading of the Bible and not just lopsided. If you have a lopsided reading, it's going to be a wrong reading, uh, quite frankly. And so, notice, uh, I want you to... Find yourself there in chapter 2, and we're going to uh, pick up reading here in verse 7 and go to 9. Notice what is said here. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll stop our reading there and pray. Jesus Thank You for Your holy Word. Your Word is a revelation to us, a revealing of Yourself to us. It's an invitation. So help us to see it as that this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I heard of a story this past week that I want to share with you. Uh, It was about a nine-year-old little boy who has a very rare but but, um, very costly disease to his body. I don't don't remember the name of the disease, but it's it's acronym, if you will, or a shortened version is just AT. And he, his body, you know, is just it's neurological, it's nervous system-wise as well. And I mean, you know, just to have my Jackson, who's almost nine, and to look at this boy in a wheelchair that'll never be able to run and play uh, is, is a tough thing to behold. And what the Cleveland Browns did for him was actually to sign him as a legitimate player on their roster, give him his own number, and for one day he became a professional athlete uh, with all of the Browns, all of the benefits of that, a real contract from the owner all the way down to the players. And, uh, you know, there was video, and you can look it up. Uh, There's video of him, you know, at their practice. And it was just a really powerful uh, scene and powerful story. It was through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And, I mean, it just really brings tears to your eyes. And... And people like that. People like stuff like that. I don't know anybody from any political party or from any organization that would say, oh, no, no, we need to stop doing this sort of thing. You know, People who are wealthy should only be allowed to be on a professional athlete team and pay their way in. Not, not somebody who, I mean, this kid can't even walk around. No one is saying that. Everybody instead looks at that story and says, man, that's, that's really what we should be doing. You know, this, is, this is really something that is worthwhile. 
And as I think about humanity, that really doesn't line up with the narrative that is often told about what a human is. If we really are just an accidental occurrence, if we're just mere animals like the rest, the weak ones don't survive and no one mourns them. In the survival of the fittest, the weak ones are the first ones out. And that's a good thing. And yet in our society, we would all agree that the weak ones ought to be lifted up. The weak ones ought to be treated with deep respect. I dare say if someone were to make fun of that boy, anybody in this room would rightfully rise up and stop it. Put a stop to it. But why? If we're mere animals, he's weak and should die. And no one should weep. But the Scripture, as you know, has a different narrative it tells. A different story about humans that it lays out for us. And it's one that lifts humanity literally up to God Himself. As the psalmist will later say in Psalm 8, that we are created, and the image he really uses here is literally hanging between heaven and earth. We're just a little lower than Elohim is the Hebrew word, which is God. We're just a little lower than God. Most translations feel like that's too much, and so they translate it angels. We're a little lower than the angels, but really the term there is God. In the beginning, Elohim is the way the Bible begins. And there it says, you are just a little lower than God. And yet, we name the animals. We're not just an animal either. So we're, we're this mixture of dust and divinity in a body with a soul. Very material and yet very spiritual. There's no other creature that's like us. Now, of course, we have, we have many things in common with, with the animal kingdom and with different animals. Uh, I, was, I was looking up because, you know, I, you just in the woods, you don't really see animals laugh much. You know what I'm saying? I, you just don't, they don't normally burst out into laughter. You're not sort of deer hunting and got somebody in the scope and they're over there. <laughs> You know, right before you take them out. It's just, that doesn't really happen. And I was looking up to just see from biologists whether or not animals actually do laugh. And, and the only closest you can get is with chimpanzees and rats. They're the, really only, they're, they're the only two animals that kind of make a laughing because of a stimulus. So in other words, you actually can stimulate them like rubbing them on the rib cage, and they'll... <laughs> now they don't smile. They still look like, you know, how animals look, which is like this. I mean, you know, if you've ever uh, had like some big event in your life where like the other day I told Jackson, I said, um, hey, don't ride the skateboard with no shoes on. That's too dangerous. And so he goes inside to get his shoes. And I'm like, well, you know, it's been a little while since I scooted on a skateboard. Right. So uh, without my shoes on, I jump on and I start going down my hill. I'm like, this is not good. I don't think I can stop without crushing my toe, you know. So then I tried to get off and I literally just. I mean, I went 200, almost 200 pounds. I had to come landing and crashing down on concrete after I slipped out from under that skateboard. And no one seen it but the birds. That was the only people who saw it. And nobody was laughing except me. 
So I get up and I'm like, oh, okay, I need to take my own advice to Jackson. I mean, I literally was hurting for the next week, and that's no joke. Uh, but, but the animals didn't laugh at me. They, didn't, they, don't, they don't laugh because of an event. They might be stimulated to make some kind of breathing noise that's like, but they don't really honestly laugh with joy or uproarious, you know, uh, activity. No, and another thing, you know, we're, we're a lot like animals. We eat meat and stuff like that, and we eat plants and all. But, you know, you, one thing you're never going to find in the woods is, is a bear over a fire. It's just not going to happen. Like, if you see fire in the woods, you, you, you don't immediately think, oh, well, the squirrels are really having a bonfire tonight. You don't really think that. Uh, instead, you know that that's a human sign. You don't come to a campsite and say, oh, yeah, well, it could have been the deer. You know, it, it wasn't ever. They don't do fire. Another, they don't do seeds. Have you ever noticed that? Like, they don't care. Like, they eat seeds. But they don't have a garden that they actually plant seeds and culture stuff until, to eat it. They don't do that. They just rely on natural effects. Um, there's a lot of things in common that we have with, with the animals. But, but those are some things that really they don't, they don't have economies. They don't exchange funds. You know, the deer don't work out something with the bear to say, hey, you know what, instead of eating us, why don't we actually barter for this and then we'll exchange that to you. We'll provide fish for you as we fit. It just doesn't happen. Not the way nature works. But it's the way humans work. It's the way humanity has always worked as far as we know. From the first civilization appearing somewhere around 3500 B.C. all the way down to 2015 this morning. There's a lot of things in common, but there are some distinctions that really make us different. Essential distinctions. They're not just accidental things, like my eyes are green and so is a cat's, therefore I'm a cat. No. No, there's some feline stuff that's missing with me that makes a cat a cat and me a human. Like the fact that I'm a biped. I stand up on two legs. I have dexterous hands that I actually can make stuff out of because I don't have to run on them constantly. So I can actually do things with my hands that other animals can. There's just a lot of differences when you really begin to lay the animal kingdom beside humans. And the Bible is going to come down and say, that's because you're not just an animal. Now we even use this in our common language, you know, leaving religious stuff aside. When bad things happen, we say, what an animal? What kind of animal could do that? Meaning a person. Meaning that some person has actually slipped into acting as if they are an animal. I have my kids do this quite often. If you have kids, maybe you know what I'm talking about. You know, they just start going crazy. It's like when you get more than four kids together, uh, you've got a real, real problem on your hands. There's a lot of things that can go wrong when you got four or more kids together. Let me tell you. Now, we have four or more kids together all the time, every single day. So you can just imagine what it's like around our place. But then when you add Justin's four kids into the mix as well, it's quite a commotion. Uh, you might as well just get some earplugs and, and weigh it out. Here's the deal. Sometimes my kids get so worked up when they're with their friends or playing outside away that they just do some really dumb things. All right, I don't even want to go into what all they do because it's embarrassing and I don't know that you would think about my parenting and stuff. But they do some crazy... And what I have to do, one thing I do is I rise up on them almost like Gandalf does to Frodo 
Remember? When he tries to tell him, you just want the ring for yourself. And he's, oh, am I just a brunt? And he gets really big. That's what I do to my kids. I get like, and I get this really big voice. But, and I say, here's what I say to him. I say, who do you think you are? Come to my what to me. Or telling me what I'm going to do. Or you're going to threaten me? I'm sorry, who are you again? You're not going to do this if, if I don't do that? Who are we? Who am I to you? Who are you? Who do you think you are? This is what I ask them. And the reason why is because they have forgotten that they are the child and I am the parent. And here's what I ultimately say to them. I am the daddy. This is what my dad always said to me, so now I get my chance to say it to them. And he told me that back in the day, and now I tell them that. And we'll pass that down for all generations of dad people. And so I tell them, I say, look, I am the daddy, and I will always win. You will never win. I will always outlast you. You can never undo me. Ever. So just get that in your head right now that you will not win this. You can pout and do all this. You won't win. You will never get to go over to their house. You will never get to do it. Not today. Not going to happen. And that's a real defeating kind of thing, isn't it? I mean, I remember as a kid when I was like, we had to, Justin and I had to position things just right. I mean, sometimes you could catch Pop when he was trying to shake everybody's hand and say, Hey, Pop, can we go to Princess real quick? Yeah, 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 just sure. Just leave me alone because i got to shake people's hands. And that was the perfect opportunity to kind of trick him into letting us do something. Sometimes we think we can do that to God. Don't we? Just ask Him the right way. Oh, God, I've actually been really good this week. Could you give me $500? Could you do this particular thing for me? I've really been good, remember? God doesn't play like that. He will always win. He's the parent. We are the child. When He says no, it's a no that lasts for all eternity. You might as well just get over it. Even if you've got to cry or whatever, just go ahead and get that out of the way. It's not going to change. He will outlast you and me. He's the parent. Now say that to say this. We are a very unique creation. We're not just animals. Not just walking past each other, drudging through life, simply trying to survive. That's not the picture that is painted in the Bible of who we are as people. What it means to be human. And yet, sometimes in our practice, we act and treat other people as if we're just animals trying to survive. I can't worry about them. I can't spend my time there. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned only with myself here. I'm not in it for them. Other people. Am, I my brother's, am I my brother's keeper? You better be. And your sister too. Because the Bible calls us, just as Craig reminded the children, to love God. But the only way to love God is, guess what? To love others. In other words, you actually cannot love God without loving others. That's pretty powerful. And many people don't connect that, but the Ten Commandments do. The first four deal with our relationship to God. The last six deal with our relationship to other people. There's actually more laws concerning our relationship with other people than there are with our relationship with God. It's that important. You don't forgive, you're not forgiven. You can't love somebody who you can see, you can't love God who you cannot see. That's what the Bible says. 
And, it, and, it's, and it's a very serious matter if we do not love others. You know, you say, well, you know, Marshall, look, I mean, of course we love others, man. We're going to church, you know, doing this whole thing. But take inventory of your life this week and just ask, who really did I show love to this week? Who did I intentionally lift up this week? Because trust me, this world will convince you you're just a consumer. You're just industrious. And beyond that, you're nothing more. You're not a person created in the image of God. You're not someone valuable. You're not someone unique, but instead simply a product. And if you can't be used here for my purposes or there for that business's purposes, you are nothing. Some of you already know this by your job. Once you're gone, they're not going to have a statue for you outside of you know Northrop Grumman. Instead, you're going to be replaced. In the military, you're out, somebody else is in. This world really has a way of beating up on us, and we already have felt that. you felt this before in your own life. We need to lift one another up as the Scripture has lifted us up, even here in Genesis 2. You'll notice that God actually forms us with His own hands. Now, here's the thing about Genesis. And in particular, you've got to know that Genesis really kind of has a split when it comes to chapter 12. So when you get to chapter 12, everything changes when this guy called Abram comes onto the scene. Everything's going to shift. The story's going to change. And the rest of the Bible is about that family. Ultimately, you have one family that begins there that leads you all the way to the final victory of Jesus in Revelation. But the first 11 chapters are really strange. Now, they make it into all the kids' storybooks, and I always find that comical, you know. Um, I mean, the story of Noah, for instance, you know, a lot of people died. And that's a kid's book. Like, that's always, that always makes it in there. Uh, and I'm always just fascinated by that. Like, we never really talk about, hey, look, kids, here's the animals. But we divert the fact that everybody else died. Um, I, I sometimes wonder if we're really even telling the story properly. Maybe, maybe not, um, actually. So it's actually a judgment on, on the world, and yet salvation at the same time. So in Genesis 2, you have really a second account of creation. So there's actually two accounts of creation. Chapter 1, you have this very organized, almost like a song. Day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. And then as you move into chapter 2, you get at the beginning, day 7, where God rests. Now, in chapter 2, many have had a problem because they're like, why give the same story again? Well, it's not the same story exactly. It's actually with a focus on humans. So the focus in chapter 2 is primarily humanity. Whereas in 1, what you get is actually the whole creation, and it's, and it's done in these binaries. So you have day and night, right? You have sea and earth. You have the sky and the earth, the heavens and the earth. Then you have male and female. These two things are meant to go together, actually. And then you get in chapter 2 this one focus on humans. And we are told that we were created in God's image. And then what God does is actually give us power in His garden. So He creates a garden. 
And He puts us in that garden, installs us there. And then He tells us that we are to manage it. And He gives, ultimately, Adam even a, a helper. Someone to come alongside and live life with Him. Eve, the mother of all living. Now, you say, well, what, you know, why, why is this so unique? I mean, we've heard this all of our life. I mean, I've read that story. I mean, I mean most people... I've probably read Genesis 1 and 2 more than any other thing because they're like, I'm going to start reading the Bible this year. And they start at Genesis 1 and 2 and then they never get past like chapter 4. Some of you are laughing because you know that's the case and you've read those same chapters, you know. So like, what, what's new about those chapters? What can you tell me unique about those chapters? I'm not here to tell you really anything other than unique other than this. This is some of the most radical stuff that's ever been written. You may not know that, but in context... No one thought about humans like that. No one. I mean, we have a lot of material from mythology. We actually do. At least, you know, um, according to archaeology, we do. We have a lot of their stories, especially from Mesopotamia, which is where apparently the Garden of Eden was somewhere around Mesopotamia. I mean, it's got the Tigris-Euphrates right there. Mesopotamia just simply means land between two rivers. And that's the two rivers it's between. And so we actually have a lot of mythology that comes out. Here's the thing. Everybody in the ancient world, everybody all the way through, has always downplayed humanity. You ever notice that? I mean, used to the way mythology looks at, looks at humans is just we're the blood of a dead God. I mean, you read the Enuma Elish, for instance, which is one of the more popular Babylonian and Akkadian myths, you're going to see that Kingu died, and out of his dead carcass, that's where Marduk actually produces humans. And the only reason he makes them is so that he doesn't have to cook supper tonight. That's it. They don't want to have to cook. The gods have to eat. And so humans are literally the slaves of the gods, and they're just dead blood. Other myths are even worse than that, and and I can't go into it um, for time's sake. But no one in the ancient world ever had this idea that humans were special. Oh no. We're dirty, we're nasty, and all that we ever need to do is just serve the gods. We are weak. We are powerless. Isn't that sort of the same kind of stuff you hear about yourself weekly? As you watch the news, it's just humans are awful. Humans are... Well, there you go. And not only that, you march through history, and we don't have time to do it, but just march through history and see how humans are viewed in each age. It's not really that good. Even when they are viewed good, it's always they're just a mind. The body is bad. You need to get rid of the body. If you could just get rid of the body, then you would actually be perfect. Again, that's not what the Scriptures are saying to us. We are meant to go together, body and soul. Again, the two binary things. Notice He actually forms us out of the dust. And guess what? Breathes in us the breath of life. That term breathe there is actually spirit. So He spirits in us His life. We were actually created for the Spirit. We were made and fashioned to hold the Spirit of God within our bodies. And that's when we became a living person. Is when He breathed within us. Now there's this... um, Let me bore you for just one more second. There's this other thing that we have discovered about Mesopotamian religion. 
and it's really a lot like Indian religion uh, in India um, with Hinduism, what they used to do was incarnate their deities. You know this. It's called idolatry, right? You take, a, you take something that's unseen and you fashion it in wood or in stone. You chisel it out or in pottery and you make an idol and say, okay, that god is represented right here. So the sun god, Ra, in Egypt would have been a disc. They would have made a disc. That's how they saw the sun. And he, he therefore would have been worshipped being bronze. All right? Well, what they would do then is actually place this statue in a sacred garden. So they would, they would forge the statue, uh, and then they would place it in a garden. And the next morning, they would all wake up and go and say, Oh, look, a god was birthed last night. And then they would actually wipe out the eyes and wash out the mouth of the god, just like you do a newborn. First thing you do when a baby comes out, you know, baby starts crying, and they get the suction thing. And start sucking stuff out. Cleaning them up. That's what you want them to clean them up, trust me. Um, I've seen it four times now. They need to be cleaned up before I'm holding them. So just, yeah, that's a great thing. Appreciate your business there. And so they clean up the God. They wash Him out. And and almost like a baptism for a newborn. And then what they do is actually install the deity after he's washed up, after he's been born, into the temple. And then everybody comes to worship. But before they do, when they consecrate it, the craftsman, the person who actually made the idol in Mesopotamia, would cut off his hands and say, See, there's no way I could have made this idol. And every all the tools that were used were then put inside of a goat... And then that goat was actually marched out, never to be seen again. Every semblance of making that idol was gone, and they acted as if that God was born in the same way that you were born. You see, you say, well, that's a really weird thing. Well, even what it means is this. Even in the ancient world, people knew that they shouldn't be making gods. And yet they were. Even in India, I saw it firsthand. They cover the thing where you can't see inside of it, and that's where they make the God. And then they reveal it. Hey, look, here's an idol of one of the gods. Do you know that the Bible has a very different picture of God? God says, no idols. Nothing can represent me in this world. Instead, God becomes incarnate. Instead, God is the Creator. And instead of us making images of God's, God makes an image of Himself. You are that image. You are forged in His likeness. He is the craftsman. And it didn't just cost Him His hands to create you. But instead, it ultimately cost him his own life. But he said, you know what? It's worth it because they're in my image. They're after my likeness. And what I have created is good. You see, he also put us in a garden, didn't he? A sacred garden. His garden. You know, really, God has written two books. One is nature. The other is Scripture. We are supposed to read both. Nature's out there always for us to enjoy and see. Every sun, every sunset. I mean, it's just the the colors are just unbelievable. I just think to myself, God did that. 
I really feel sorry for the atheists sometimes because, I mean, what do you do? Just, oh, it's just an accident. Don't worry about it. There's nothing to enjoy. I, that's just not much life there, is it? Not much to really get behind each day. But with a Creator? Oh, yeah. He made that. He made you. He made the, the forest that we're always enthralled with, the beach that we go to see, the mountains that, that you want to go to and look at. Again, I mean, that's, that's something different than the animals, isn't it? Try to get your dogs from that. Hey, hey, uh, Fido, look at that sunset. How beautiful it is. <laughs> you know, he, he's unconcerned. Um, dogs don't take, like, long trips to the beach, you know, and just kind of, oh, man, this is awesome. Let's kick back, you know. No, they, they, just, they never really think about doing that. Uh, but we do. We pay big money to go just look at things in nature. Why? Because there's something mysterious there. Something amazing there. Now, something has happened in our culture. The ancient people, they actually looked at a, a big mountain and they said, wow. And their, their you know, result of that was then, let's worship it. It's a God. Now, our scientific culture came along and said, no, no, no. The, the mountains, the trees, the, the clouds, they're not gods and goddesses. They're stuff to be studied. They're inanimate. They're not animated with life. They're just, they're just a dead wood. And so it kind of drained all the deity out of it, kind of drained all the mystery out of it. And, and to look at the world just in scientific terms is quite boring if there's no creator. But the Christian response is look at the mountain and say, wow, not worship the mountain, but the one who made the mountain. It's a slight twisting a slight nuance of terminology and yet it makes all the difference in the world this is exactly what psalm 19 says when it says even the heavens declare the glory of god their speech is heard throughout all of the earth day and night they speak of his goodness and paul will then later say you can actually be condemned to hell by the book of nature in other words everybody should know there's a creator and to deny that is foolishness. You see, He put us in His garden, washed us in the waters of baptism, and then installed us as the temple. In other words, we're not just you know, in a, in a temple. We are a temple now. God wants to dwell not in a temple made of human hands, but in you. That's where He is located. That's, where he, that's the way He created us from the beginning. was for His Spirit. He installs us then and, and animates us with life, with His Spirit. You see, the biblical narrative leads us in a completely different way. And the response of that should change the way we meet and talk and interact with the next person. Amen. That's what this all comes down to. You say, why would you lead us through this whole thing about humans not being animals for this one point? It should change the way you treat the waiter or the waitress or the person at the gas station or the next person, you, your neighbor next door or that person that's really annoying at work or the person that doesn't like you at work or in your family or even in your own house. You see... The gospel should change the way we look at people because people are not just animals. People are literal images of God. 
There's never a person that you have ever met that God did not have His stamp on them. Now, of course, we can deny that and mar that and break that and ruin that image, but even so, you are worthy to be loved simply because you have a Creator. Kind of like on Toy Story. Remember when uh, Woody looks at the bottom of his shoe and it says... What's the kid's name? Andy. Andy. Thank you. Uh, it says Andy. When we look at the bottom of our shoe, it says God. He created us. He likes us. He loves us. He has redeemed us. He has become one of us. And died for us and resurrected for us and sent His Spirit to be in us. That's good news. And it's not just good news for us in here. The world needs to hear that news this week. I'm telling you, somebody in your life this week needs to hear that. People get beat up in this world. Beat down in this world. And our job is to be salt and light. And to show forth the gospel, the good news, that they matter. That they are valued. It's the small things, folks. Just telling somebody you're going to pray for them. A neighbor, what's going on? What could I be praying for you about this week? You know, I mean, we, I did, I've been doing a practice thing. I did it with Casey, and then we went out to eat uh, as a family. And I practiced the same thing. It was something I learned from somebody else, and, uh, and I'm just sort of passing it on. We're sitting there at dinner, and I'm like, I told our waiter guy, I said, Hey, uh, we're about to say a family prayer. Is there anything that, that we could pray for you about? And man, he just opened up. He just said, he said, man, you know, my, my mom and, and my, my daughter. He, and he, he was just, he was blown away that, that someone would be concerned enough, not just to be sitting down, doing their prayer, eating their food, getting their service, getting my money's worth, and getting out. Is that really the way we want to live life? Like some animal trying to just survive? Or are we called to be more than that. I think we are. We're His image. We should be the presence of God in any situation we're in. That's a big calling. And yet, that's our calling. That's my calling this week. I'm, it's not like I get to preach to you and then I'm like, alright dude, I did my part. Check. Done. Nope. That means when I, whatever I do tomorrow, which Jessica will tell me here in a little bit, um, that's what I got to do. That's where I got to be light. If I got to go to a soccer game, then boom, that's where I'm at. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to start talking to that Indian family there, and I'm going to start, you know, just valuing life. Amen. It's not you got to beat people over the head with the Bible. Just treat people with respect and love and courtesy and compassion. Like Jesus did. It's not rocket scientists. We already know what to do. I don't have to sit here and tell you what to do. You already know what to do. You have plenty of knowledge at your disposal right here from the Word. It's time to do it. It's time to just do it. You are the image of God. You're not just some animal trying to survive. You're meant to thrive. You're meant to have the Spirit of God living 
in you. His power in you. And when you live like that, I'm telling you, you're going to laugh. You're going to do things that animals, you'll never see animals do. Because we were created to be like God. And He loves life. Do you? You can. Today, it's His design. It's His purpose for you. Do you feel beat up? Come and pray with me up here. Let's ask God to lift us up so that we can then turn around and lift somebody else up. They need it. They need People in this room need it. As soon as we get done here, you ought to go encourage somebody. Just shake their hand. Look them in the eye. Love them from the heart. Pray for them. So many ways to serve and love. Will you join with me as we try to be obedient to Jesus this week and say, I'm in. I'm in. That's what I want. That's what I want to do. And when we do that, the Spirit will come in us and empower us for service. Amen.